Hello and welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. Today, as promised, we will be finishing the Battle of the Labyrinth if it kills us and if this episode is two hours long. We've got all of our Battle of the Labyrinth crew, our quest squad, back in in the virtual studio, and we literally could not be more excited, so stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, hey, I'm Erica. Hi, Carter. <laughs> Hi. Hello, Mike. How's it going? Hey, Jackson. Shalom. Hi, Ola. Hey. And we have an extra special guest here as an add-on, and I'm going to embarrass her. It's Ola's girlfriend. Hi, Liv. Hi! <laughs> um, glad to have you here. After last week's very eventful conversations about Calypso, we've gotten a lot of <laughs> feedback. Um, it's been lovely hearing all of your thoughts, opinions about the circumstance on Ojigia. I've been told some children have in fact listened to our episode. Diego and Samuel, if you're listening to this, please calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to very briefly share that Erica texted a few times and she was like, I don't know if we can keep this in. I think we might need to cut it because, you know, I'm kind of feeling anxious about it. I don't know if I feel comfortable leaving it in there. And I was like, you must leave it in. And she left it in. And I'm so glad. Wow. I asked everyone I know if it was inappropriate and everyone was like, it doesn't matter. These people aren't real. And I was like, okay. And I have received backlash, frankly. So it, it does matter. It was a good, but it needed to I, be in. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad. Whatever. At least people enjoyed that. Okie dokie. Carter, you want to start us off? Yes. So last we left off, Percy had just killed his giant half-brother Antaeus in this arena in the labyrinth. And currently he and Rachel and Annabeth and Ethan Nakamura also are sprinting out through the labyrinth, running away from the Titan army. So they're like off for a while. They get pretty deep in before they get a chance to basically catch their breath and have a conversation with Ethan Nakamura, who just kind of ran out with them. Despite the fact that we don't really know this person other than the fact that he's a half-blood who joined the Titan army and who Percy yep. spared in the last chapter. Ethan, Ethan then gives us this very difficult conversation that really does hurt me to think about and to read, but we must. Mm. He's still angry. He does, He's not grateful for Percy's mercy. He does not feel that after this instance in which Luke has gone back on his word and tried to kill all of them, that um, he should reinvestigate his allegiances. Ethan kind of goes off and has a little speech about how he's a child of Nemesis. <laughs> Percy's like, how could you do this? And he's just like, there. he says, there's no right side. The gods never cared about me, especially as like a child of a minor god. They never cared about you. And also like, you shouldn't have spared me, Percy. Like you should have killed me because mercy has no place in a war. So again, echoing this like thing that Clarice was saying earlier, this there's a, there's a lot of conflict in the last chapters, especially between like mercy and like the senselessness of war and all of that stuff, which we're yes. going to keep shoving at Percy and making Percy consider coming up on this last book and like the biggest like the, the war <laughs> the itself. War. <laughs> and then Ethan just kind of like runs off into the darkness, which is weird. But this is basically suicide. He doesn't know how to navigate the labyrinth. It's very dangerous, but he does it. 
we'll we'll hear from him again somehow. <laughs> yeah, he'll be back. That's 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 that on Ethan. Also, we said he was our token Asian in the last episode, and I do want to throw it back to Annabeth's um, stepmom. You know, I just let's get Ethan still is our token Asian in our hearts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Annabeth, Percy, and Rachel are alone again, um, and Annabeth is just like simping for Luke. She is freaking out about him and like those words that he said to her at the end of the last chapter where he was like, spare Annabeth, like I need to talk to her. She's really freaked out. She's like, he looked nervous. He wanted to tell me something. What what, what did he want to tell me? And Percy is like, <laughs> again as usual percy's jealous annabeth is all irritated and percy's like okay like let's listen to rachel and and rachel calls annabeth calls rachel sakajuwea which is like you know that that's that's there Gross. <laughs> everything is bad and, and very tense this is the love triangle no one asked for and then annabeth is like whatever i'm gonna go figure stuff out and kind of walks away <laughs> leaving uh percy and rachel to have what we think might be a lovely long vulnerable fireside chat and instead uh. is like rachel being like shut up don't talk to me about my family good night <laughs> um, which i, I think that's all there is to say about that <laughs> rick rick is making it clear that even though he's going to set up this tension it's, it's going to be bad it's going to be it's going to be awkward on all sides and yeah even though percy and Annabeth are having having a spot right now and percy's being a little asshole to her they, they do still have a rapport and a history that percy frankly does not have with rachel yeah that's a good point i will say percy in that moment though i think showed a bit of emotional intelligence that many boys his age wouldn't have in recognizing maybe the the family being a sensitive subject in my experience many boys that age would have just gone into well my mom as somebody who was once a 14 year old boy mike i I do trust your opinions on this topic we should also note though that percy displays an also extreme lack of emotional intelligence when he says quote um annabeth's not usually like this i don't know what her problem is to racial immediately after annabeth storms off in anger c plus in emotional intelligence you know the boy's a he's a mixed bag yeah he's passing but barely he's like yeah for his age you gotta give him a little credit can you imagine being cut caught in an underground tunnel with the two girls you have a crush on who clearly hate each other and being like oh don't know what's up with that one why do i why did i say that in maxwell's voice from this terrible terrible moment that we all hate and despise um, <laughs> we get the dreams that follow the fireside chats as usual this time it is Kronos's voice um calling at percy from the pits of tartarus except this time it sounds like maybe his body is fully formed uh-oh um pretty much cut right from there to a vision of Grover and Tyson, who we haven't checked back in with since they went their separate ways to look for Pan. It's clear that they're in danger. Hopefully we'll meet up with them soon because they might need our help. And then uh, Percy wakes up immediately to an earthquake that is shaking the labyrinth, which might be the, you know, the Titan army coming to get them. And Rachel is able to follow the light on the ground and lead them right to Daedalus's workshop. Just a little plot hole or thing that I think is super convenient in all of this that like are, are the dreams that these demigods have happening in real time is it does it just so happen that like the bad guys like evil plan schedule coincides with a tween's circadian rhythm like the, the titan army is nocturnal they are nocturnal yeah that's like canon it's amazing that Percy gets to see like all of these crazy things happening but it's also like why are they happening when Percy is asleep and also like why yeah. don't they tap into this of like so, like guys what's going on and it's like two in the afternoon and everyone looks over at percy and they just like give him some ambient and then he's like i know everything that's i think that's because Cronus is the time god though like i definitely think mm. that in the first five books like 
Time the Titan. The whole reason that Titan. Um, Titan, my apologies, Time Titan. I feel like Kronos always appears in Percy's dreams because like he controls like time. And I feel like that was the implication because when you think about like other times that Percy is like, had to deal with like dreams like if you fast forward to the next series a lot of the times it's like visionary but like you can explain it with the time difference like mm-hmm. when they're going around greece and like alaska and stuff like that you guys remember like, so like much rational. more than i do of the heroes of olympus <laughs> books written well i guess we'll be there eventually i i was kind of thinking that luke is sort of organized as we said he's an evil door-to-door salesman and i kind of could see him being like all right titan army we're scheduling this meeting for 1 a.m it is also magic <laughs> oh definitely magic yeah I, we should we should address that there's magic anyhow yes we're at, the, we're at the workshop yes this has been the culmination of basically the entire quest they set out to look for Daedalus <laughs> in the workshop and they found his workshop it's empty at this point but it's super rad modern beautiful in this national park in Colorado giant glass windows it's really beautiful. It's such a nice description. It's, it's full of art and architecture. So Annabeth and Rachel are kind of freaking out about it. And I was like, this is kind of cute. Also, I hate Percy. He has a type, whatever. <laughs> I already mentioned it to the hosts. But what uh, I immediately thought of was the description of Daedalus's works being Da Vinci-like. And I just can't, I can't stop thinking. I'm sure many of these listeners are on TikTok or media outlets where TikToks are shown. Personally, I'm not on TikTok, but I saw it on Twitter. And it's those two blonde wrestler guys that look like toothbrushes. That are like identical twins. They don't know who painted the Mona Lisa. It's great. It's a piece of art. And they say, If you're listening to this, like, more than, I want to say, three days after the episode drops and you're so confused about what we're referencing, cherish this. Cherish this time portal that was left for you. The other thing I... I was going to suggest is there's a very interesting line from Annabeth where she mentions uh, how she really likes the curve of the buildings. I thought that was a very suggestive line. <laughs> bisexual. I big, would say bi, it's a... big bi moment for Annabeth. She's like, a bi-con. Oh my god. Mike is queering the space. Yesterday was the, the day of visibility. I'm going to cite another moment later in, in this in this yes. episode when Annabeth displays extremely queer tendencies. That was not at all where I was going with that, but that's so right. When I read that note. Yeah. So, so right yeah, on. I I'm love excited. that. Anyway, who appears at the top of the spiral staircase? Quintus? Huh? Gasp. You know, whatever. It's Daedalus. It's uh, <laughs> Quintus is Daedalus. Daedalus is Quintus. Uh, yep. Trapped his animus, his soul in an automaton. Automaton. Oh, okay. He trapped his soul in an automaton. Okay, I've been saying automaton. I also said that growing up. I said that's automated. what I said as a kid. Did you guys read the tale of Hugo Cabret? Obviously. Yes. But Percy and Annabeth don't really believe that Quintus and Daedalus are the same person at first. He has to tell them, convince them, basically that that it all works. How to to explain to them the mechanics of how he could still be alive. But they're all on board with it eventually, and then of course they get really mad because Quintus showed up to camp, subsequently abandoned them. That's not a hot look for Daedalus. It sounds like their quest was doomed this whole time. And Quintus does reveal that, in fact, it was doomed this whole time. Um, He, Quintus, Daedalus is, 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 is a solo, is a lone wolf. He's out here for himself. Similar to Garion, honestly. He says, I I only work for myself. Displaying tendencies of a dirty businessman here, in addition to a mad scientist. Like, what's going on? (laughs) I mean, he, he, he basically just says, like, it's, I'm really jaded. I went to your camp to see if it was worth saving. 
uh, after I got the offer from Luke. And, you know, I, I like all of you, but but it wasn't worth it. Like, there are goals that I have. I want to rule the underworld and Kronos will let that happen. It's sort of this whole explanation where it sort of gives you, you know, like, evil genius revealing the plan energy. But it also isn't really because Daedalus is, is sympathetic towards them and he understands their motivations. He likes them as people. He just cannot bring himself to to align his you know his actions and to to sacrifice his own motivations and his regrets with the fact that he ultimately does want Percy and Annabeth to succeed. I like how he says that you have to make your own conclusions about this war and that there isn't a a right or wrong side similarly to Ethan Nakamura's perspective but maybe just a little bit less violent. Yeah he's a little more like generally jaded about it and sort of just saying like you know like all war is a crime type of framework more than anything else. There's like a lot of exposition in this speech that we want to like briefly touch on. He does reveal for instance that the labyrinth is tied to his life force. Important factual tidbit that we're going to use at different points in this book. Mm -hmm. He also reveals that Minos has been torturing him from the grave in his dreams, haunting him, making him miserable. But the labyrinth is still able to like basically hide him from the Furies and from the underworld and from all the other gods, which is wild, powerful stuff. Annabeth goes off on him, uh, <laughs> which I Love die this. for. Annabeth has been literally so suffering for this entire quest having a difficult time being in charge watching the boy she likes simping for rachel and it's just so frustrating and she is like i used to respect you children of athena are supposed to be wise not just clever super iconic line especially considering the run-in she just had with the sphinx daedalus is gonna sit with this this is gonna hurt him also shouting out real quick just a reminder for clarity that athena had no children in the original myths that is a (laughs) that is a riordan thing um athena merely like gave her blessing to people because remember once again athena was a virgin born of zeus's brain never once touched a vaginal canal in her life i'm gonna talk more about that in another episode because we don't have time but (laughs) annabeth hates meeting her heroes he's he's awful she's chewing him out um but there kind of is no time because after after all of this conversation about daedalus it turns out the titan army appears in in the labyrinth with nico and the ghostly form of king minos and mm-hmm. minos is going to like fully resurrect himself because he's been using nico the army's been using daedalus who's been using the quest so nico mm-hmm. is now with them nico because nico jumped into the labyrinth to try and to try and save percy to try and save percy it's because he's obsessed with percy shout out to that Yay. shout out to her <laughs> the interesting thing is that luke isn't here so it's not a luke ambush this time because luke is what busy pre- preparing for something what is that about Mm -hmm. that's kind of weird um why was he nervous earlier and so it's kelly and some lastragonian giants and there's a big battle in the workshop it's it's pretty crazy kelly the impauso is like about to kill percy annabeth like just manages to stab her in the back saving his life as usual as usual minus and nico are like fighting with ghosts one of the most iconic lines the most iconic (laughs) lines in the book is when King Minos is out here being like, I am the Lord of Spirits, the Ghost King. And Nico just responds, no, I am. No, and I ends am. him. Oh my God. <laughs> I love this. I feel like the Battle of the Labyrinth is like so much of a, here are like two of the kids of the big three, like let's really flesh out their powers because like they're about to go to war and you fuckers need to realize exactly. that, like, period, period. that like these are kids that can go to war. Like, 
that moment when Nico's like, I am is so, like so like chill inducing. The Battle of the Labyrinth is really just like a whole book that we're taking before the final book to be like, war is questionable. We should yes. have a critical consciousness about war. And also everyone has superpowers. Let's just remind <laughs> you about that so that like the war can be interesting and I can write fun battle scenes. Uncle Rick. Yeah. yeah, they ba- they barely get out of there thanks to Nico being literally the ghost king. Shout out to the prophecy, which does reference the ghost king. Who it turns out is Nico. The prophecy was right. That's so freaking <laughs> badass. Like, Crazy. <laughs> this whole time, Rachel has been trying to get the wings, the famous Daedalus Icarus wings. We love this. That iconography. She suits everyone up and they jump out the windows just in time, leaving Mrs. O'Leary and Daedalus behind. And then we're flying. We land in the, the Garden of the Gods. Honestly, I thought Mike was going to talk about these rocks, but that's uh, fine. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I was going to mention that it's conveniently... I don't know. Is the Garden of the Gods a real place in Colorado, or is that... Yes. yes. It's a national park. Is it a national park? I'm yeah. surprised I, I'm surprised I didn't, I didn't know that that, that, that was one of them. You literally failed us, Mike. It's like mostly rocks, too. I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. There was some... I mean, they didn't really describe it much. Those kind of messed up of you, Mike. Hey, hey. Hear me out. Hear me out. For those of you at home, you should Google images because, like, it's like a really... It, it's such a powerful, iconic image of the, of the demigods, like, flying through this national park that's, like, these giant brown spires over piney forests. It's very Americana yeah, it's also. so cool. And also like of a wild place, which is also important. Yes. But I guess my, my whole thing is they, they mention that that's where you are, but they don't do a, Rick doesn't do a whole lot of like actual description of the landscape. Because I was yeah. going to mention like, yeah, that is a pretty cool location uh, and whatnot. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of analyzing it for things to comment on but there really wasn't a whole lot really no it's not a well-described like i had to google it to know what what it looked like as are a lot of things in this book rick does a great job of introducing a lot of themes but he's not really giving you spatial awareness (laughs) and where we are at any time because there's a lot of locations yeah i think that's maybe why the book is so confusing yeah I, i totally agree so they land and they need to basically find a way back into the labyrinth because They've realized, like, they need to get back to camp to warn everyone that, you know, Titan Army has the string, Daedalus betrayed them, etc. So Rachel basically just, like, wanders off and talks to some (laughs) chauffeur and commandeers the car. We're really confused. She does not offer an explanation. Um, but this, this, this man basically just drops everything to drive them around aimlessly with literally no destination in mind. For Rachel to just look out the window and see if she sees the golden glow of of another entrance of the labyrinth, which, of course, she does. And they're back in. I thought it was just, like, so cute that, like, finally we get, like, some good woman writing for a second when Rachel and Annabeth finally, like, oh, yeah, we would definitely get along, like... If we weren't so worried about Percy right now, we'd be such good friends. And like, like, I completely understand why it's written like this, but like, they would be friends. Yeah. Like, give them like three years, like it's senior year of high school. And they're like, wow, why did we never hang out? We have so many things in common. Yes, absolutely. Like, I see this for them. Yeah. They're friends later. It gets there. (laughs) They'll they'll get there. Like, we all will with emotional maturity. We'll we'll learn how to (laughs) like women. Um, <laughs> even though we've been told not to. Oh, yeah, so Nico and Percy... <laughs> Nico and Percy have a little chat now as we're sort of, like, running through the labyrinth to get back to Camp Half-Blood. He's described really interestingly through Percy's perspective as being no longer angry and scary, but still, like, suspicious and, like, brooding. So Nico Loki had a very transformative moment, obviously, when he said, I am the Ghost King, and exorcised Minos, like, from his body. <laughs> and that weight has, like, clearly been lifted. He's He's emotionally matured in the last, like, five seconds, basically. 
Well, he's been alive for a while. It's just kind of glossed over that like Hades never actually broke his oath and that Bianca and Nico were born very much before World War II. Mm-hmm. So, like, this kid has been trapped as a boy for 70-plus, 80-plus years. It's a little bit like uh, Five from Umbrella Academy. I'm right. sorry to bring this up, but I think Umbrella Academy is a useful text um, <laughs> for comparison for the for each future Disney Plus series. I'm sure there'll be kids from that in Percy Jackson, so... I was going to shout out the other obvious comparison point of Atla, of course, for... <laughs> little boy trapped in time forever but more to the point you know like there there are lots of discussions about whether or not rick riordan sort of dumbledored nico in there yeah obviously not the same because nico gets a character arc afterwards and is not just all like post-textual but like i think that this scene to me reads so gay the suspiciousness of percy that percy reads that's that's queer subtext right there the the way that he is is going off about never being accepted among humans mm, mm-hmm. and among the living that's that's a queer character arc gay. right there. <laughs> yeah, that's some gay shit right there. Yeah, and I also think it makes sense because otherwise Nico being like, "I they're not gonna accept me because I have dead powers." I don't think it like that never made a lot of sense to me. It didn't click. One more thing that I think is really funny. Please. Sometimes the names that these characters have and the way it associates with who their parent is. Like, Nico D'Angelo. Okay, cool. I wonder who that's dead people. Uh, Angels and dead people. You have Lee Fletcher of Apollo. Fletcher as in an arrow. Like, this is me with my (laughs) archery background. The little feathers on an arrow are called the fletchings. When you need to put them back on and fix them, you need to use a Fletcher. So there's that. And then also like Selena Beauregard, which Beauregard in French literally means pretty to look at. Some of these names are just, I think, are very funny. Ethan Nakamura. (laughs) (laughs) Nakamura, for those of you at home, uh, means central village, which, of course, when I think about, (laughs) that screams goddess of revenge. Um, (laughs) Honestly, though, I kind of dug it because I was like, Carter Nakamoto, Erika Ito, those are half-blood names. Uh, moving ahead Um, after they're like talking and and they're almost at new york according to rachel but then suddenly they smell the eucalyptus and they realize that they're very close to the mount ulthris entrance to the labyrinth um which is the one that luke has been using which is where like you know chronos is reforming and percy Mm -hmm. is like i gotta take this opportunity to see what's up and maybe like you know fix this before it gets bad and they're like don't go up there alone and percy's like no i'm gonna go up there alone and everyone's like this is obviously a dumb idea and (laughs) percy is you know yeah it's the horny book and percy is like i remember the last time annabeth and i said goodbye and she gave me a kiss for good luck and this time all i got was her invisibility hat well anyway (laughs) what are you gonna do (laughs) c plus for percy here Percy is like sort of spying Ethan Nakamura back with the Titans. He he literally ran away into the darkness and rejoined the enemy. Yes. It's pretty epic scenery. And then Percy kind of comes up on Cronus's sarcophagus and fully like has Riptide out ready to stab the forming body of Cronus again with Percy being all gung-ho about murder all of a sudden. Opens the lid. Oh, it's Luke. <laughs> this was a big deal. I don't know about y'all. I, like, there were hints there, but I really did not see this one coming. The Quintus thing, I saw that coming as a kid. This was like, ah. I literally remember reading this book and just, like, gasping. Reading it back this time, it's so obvious that it's going to be Luke. But I was like, wow, it really finna be Ethan Nakamura. He's going to start (laughs) shaking. And then it fully was Luke. And I was like, 
oh my god he's so evil like he was always evil but he's so evil like i was i mean i just remember being scared for luke because of how he was clearly having that draco moment of not being sure that he's getting wrapped up in all of this like if draco had been eaten by voldemort or like used as a horcrux or something literally this just takes takes it to such a new level like it's violating because what does it mean for luke's consciousness where does is luke's consciousness going is he like dying is he going to be trapped in the sunken place i don't know period yes and and, and Percy feels the same way yeah yeah that's heavy that's heavy after he sees this he runs away he's still invisible but you know like ethan and the telkines that are with him are basically like how why is the sarcophagus open some shit's weird let's go let's do the ceremony (laughs) pledge yourself let's let's get the show on the road and right before that percy of course has to reveal himself (laughs) stupid move takes off his invisibility hat and is just like ethan no don't i believe in you make the right choice literally so dumb we know this is not gonna happen Ethan literally goes you should have killed me should have killed me when you had the chance as a child of nemesis this is what i was made to do there's like a quick note in here i don't think that rick intended this way i think there's a wedge minority reading of ethan nakamura that i just want to put forth in which ethan nakamura is you know being exploited for his marginal invisible position as a way to undermine the oppressed class through conditional false inclusion among the oppressor. I don't think this is what Rick intended, and I really hope it isn't because Ethan is, again, our one token Asian character. Just want to put that out there. Besides Annabeth's stepmom. Besides Annabeth's very important stepmom. And Drew Tanaka coming up later. How dare you bring that person up before we have to. I love Drew Tanaka. (laughs) I just relate to her so much. No, I'm kidding. I don't know anything about her. Wait, wait, wait. Is Ethan... Ethan's the last demigod who needs to pledge themselves before Kronos is fully back. Yes. His pledge brings Kronos back. I always thought it was kind of a weak sauce moment because Percy's like, are you going to kill yourself, Ethan? And the telekines are like, calm down. He just needs to say, (laughs) I renounce the gods. And I was like, he should have killed himself. Like, that would have raised the stakes. I'm going to disagree. I think that Luke's sacrifice is much more striking because Ethan (laughs) doesn't kill himself. And and with Ethan's final disavowal of the gods, Luke rises from the sarcophagus Body intact, golden eyes, razor voice. Of course, we need to shout out the eyes. Luke normally has lovely blue eyes. Anyway, Kronos is back. This is really bad news. This is this is the moment of doom. The Titan King has risen. <laughs> Basically, everything should be over now, right? Like the Kronos sits up. It's a different voice. He sees Percy there, and he's like, you know, Luke feared you. Thank you, thank you. His jealousy and hatred have been powerful tools. It kept him obedient. I think there's a lot to unpack there. Jealousy. Oh, God. Percy. Percy immediately is like, okay, no, this is Kronos. This is not Luke. I I have my wherewithal. He tries to stab him, but it doesn't work. That's weird. Even though Kronos is a titan, that's weird. Percy has stabbed a god before. Famously, there was golden god blood flowing. Like in the first freaking book. Yeah, it was easy. Why is that not happening? All would be lost if not for, of course, a moment I do have to admit is extremely iconic. It's very iconic. Rachel yells Percy's name. Turns out everybody followed him, obviously. Because they did not trust him. (laughs) Because nobody trusts him, obviously. Rachel throws her blue plastic hairbrush, probably full of dead strands of her ginger hair, (laughs) into the eyes of Kronos distracting him returning time to normal and allowing everyone to run away although as chronos is um shocked by the hairbrush he speaks and it's luke's voice which gives us you know this is important because we know that luke is still trapped luke is in there somewhere annabeth is like oh my god that that triggers annabeth that's luke's voice and percy (laughs) grabs her and runs away as nico does his ghost king shit and like distracts them so they can they can get out of there 
That was intense. I have to stand Rachel a little bit in that moment. I think it's yes. irritatingly quirky that she carries her hairbrush with her, but also I can absolutely fully admit that is a hugely it's very iconic, iconic moment. This rerun, it gave me like Asami Sato vibes <laughs> as like I am a non-bender with like epic fighting technique who's like pretty cool still. Um, and I really like Asami. So I'm trying to convince myself to <laughs> find it in my heart to be a fan of Rachel. Yeah, they're they're sprinting out through the labyrinth because of course the Titan army is trying to follow them even though Nico has erected this giant, impressive, monstrous geological formation behind them, outing himself as a son of Hades. But Annabeth is is sobbing and inconsolable because, of course, she's found out that Luke, her one closest childhood friend, is lost to worse than death. As we find out later, the prophecy says, she's sobbing, she's inconsolable, and they have to stop because she's crying. This is tough. Oh, Annabeth. We, we get a short exchange between Percy and Nico as Annabeth is sort of off sobbing. Nikos tells Percy, quote, blame the girls for dragging me along. We needed to help you or you'd mess things up. Girl, I see you. <laughs> That's um, some more gay shit and I, I respect you for that. Um, <laughs> I forgot that it was such a big deal that Nico revealed himself as a son of Hades because nobody knows yet that he's a child of the big three, but that is a big deal. Yep. And we'll address it later. Because, um, <laughs> of course, Percy has been lying this entire time, which is great. Um, Annabeth, at this point, gets into a very heated argument with Percy about Luke, in which Annabeth is still processing what happens. She's sort of mourning, and Percy is just really not giving her room to process that and very much putting his foot down and saying, like, even though you heard his voice, he's gone. That is the Titan. You need to give it up. And, you know, get on board with with trying to basically murder th- this person who is now only a flesh vessel for the, the Lord of Time, which... Hey, wait, can we also talk about the parallels, not to, like, harp on Calypso too much, but, like, <laughs> the parallels of Percy, like, giving up his own immortal future with Calypso because he knew that the war was important. At first, it seemed kind of hypocritical because he, like, gets to have, like, this cute little love affair, but then it's also, like, so sweet that, like... Percy is like in war mode almost and he's like yeah you love Luke yeah you cared about Luke he's Kronos now we all have to sacrifice things that we care about like he sacrificed like finally having some peace and quiet in his life and falling in love to like save the world like again this is militarized Percy but like it's still like cute Percy yeah i get that i think that's also like driving his like upsetness with annabeth where he's like i just left oggia like can you please let go of luke i swear to god like please percy and rachel talk rachel's you know, like yeah he, she blushes percy's like thanks for saving my life she's like yeah well i don't want you to die i i hate it, it here is what i it literally is. hate it here i am so upset <laughs> The way that he just Whatever. gets out of his conversation with Annabeth by immediately going over to Rachel and being like, oh, so I guess you like me, huh? Dot, dot, dot. Fuck this, man. C plus. Anyway. Um... Yes. Anyway, um, instantly we come upon Grover's Rasta cap. Finally. Thank God. We found them. They're not dead, maybe. Mini quest, mm-hmm. plot B. We enter into the Carlsbad Caverns, which is really cool. Hi, Mike. I'm not <laughs> going to try to describe this. Please feel free if you want. But this is this is where Pan is. Ta-da! It's super cool. Beautiful. One of the last wild places. After go- visiting sort of the man-made landmarks across America, we get some glimpses at some beautiful wild places. I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to go back and read this this chapter, this portion of this chapter, because it's really beautiful and it's really yes. well-written from Rick. Like, the yes. fact that he managed to put this into this book, I think, is 
really, really impressive. Um, and basically says, hey, like, it's time for me to die. I tried to die centuries ago because I can't fix this anymore. It is literally up to the humans to fix this. I cannot fix the changing climate. I cannot fix the fact that the wild places are disappearing. It's up to you and you have to step up. You must tell the satyrs and the dryads and the other spirits of nature that the great god Pan is dead. Tell them of my passing because they must stop waiting for me to save them. I cannot. The only salvation you must make yourself. Every time. So powerful. Yeah, it's very telling, too, that, you know, this was written years ago. Yes. It was just as relevant then, and we've progressed so little. Yeah. On uh, such an important issue. But this is certainly, one you know, one chapter where, where Rick does go into the, the good, I think, atmospheric and environmental descriptions. But uh, the more important <laughs> thing here is the, the message regarding anthropogenic climate change and trying to put pressure on those who can work to change it to actually do so. Yeah. And it's like, I can't even er encourage the people who are listening to this podcast to fix it because frankly, it's not in our hands, right? It's in the yeah. hands of the big Titans of industry and the right. Robert Barons. Titans of industry in heavy quotation marks, <laughs> Robert Barons boldened it underlined. Yeah. Pen um, <laughs> then like, in addition to this message, like goes through to everyone, it basically says like, you individually, you need to step up. Like you, you have like this specific role. He Wizard of Oz is the quest ahead. Yes, that's precisely right. He does Wizard of Oz them for everyone. He's just like, I know that you think that blah, 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 but like your time's coming. You better get your shit together. Yeah, it's exciting. Step up. And finally, he goes back to Grover and says, I think my message is clear. And like, you, you need to like, release me. It's it can't just be me like you need to like, let go of the idea that I'm going to be your salvation mm -hmm. formally, mm -hmm. so that I can like, die and like pass my energy on to basically everyone. But of course, also like the one helpful God they've ever met dies. <laughs> like the one God who's like, <laughs> no strings attached. Here's all of my help. Here's some direct wisdom and all this stuff dies. Hunt, like Pan is trying to peace out before the battle. Are you kidding me? Pan is a He's pacifist. literally been waiting for centuries to get out of here. He says, I'm going to keep it real with you, Chief. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm done here. My work here is finished. I think we should cast Mike as Dionysus, Tyson, the great god Pan, and the entire Seder Cloven Council of Elders. <laughs> Every Seder is played by Mike. <laughs> oh, I would love that. That would be fantastic. Do you want to say something really quickly about the Mononoke thing, Carter? Yeah, um, so, so Pan's final disillusion is like... It, to my mind, very similar to the um, the death of the deer god in Princess Mononoke. I don't know how many people that reference hits for, but basically this like explosion. Just eat the Nakamura. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but but it's the, it's a similar idea of like of the idea of like salvation like disappearing and and like the human excesses and evils being like democratized to individual people. Again, like we said this before, but it's like such a well-written scene. Yes, it's really beautiful. Go back and reread it. Um, with that, we get back to New York. We're heading back to camp. We find out Rachel's dad is a land developer, which is crazy because she just talked to Pan and Pan was like, you can make amends with your dad. And she was like, I have to fix this. Anyway, we're back in New York. So Rachel's going to go home. Terrible, painful, ugly, disastrous scene of you can call me. Uh, or something. I kind of your phone number. Uh, go save the world for me, okay? That line, that line, I have nightmares about that line. That line gives peak, like, Lois Lane, Mary Jane, tee-hee-hee, -hee energy. <laughs> tee-hee-hee. 
And it's also, like, just inconsistent with the rest of her character. It's not even like Rachel isn't capable of doing things, because clearly she is. She has spent this whole book being an instrumental person in their quest. And now she's out here being like, you go save the world, boy. Like It's okay. (sighs) She's going to come back. We are so early on in Rachel's character development is the thing. No, you're right. It is frustrating, but she'll come back. It's Rick's fault. It's Rick's fault. I'm blaming Rick and Percy. Uh, Nico agrees to f- come with them, even though he doesn't want to go back to camp, but just just only for Annabeth. And Percy's like, how come you got through to him, Annabeth? Yay! Which is the... <laughs> this is the moment I wanted to cite as some, some gay shit from Annabeth. I think that the fact that Nico will listen to Annabeth and not Percy really just highlights the fact that Nico has found an elder queer in his life, and it's and it's our bicon, Annabeth. Big sister, elder queer energy. He trusts her. He finally has somebody he looks, he looks up to and feels kind of safe with also she's like a bianca mm-hmm. figure for him this is cute some people thought that that was a plot hole but it clearly is not clearly if you go back and read this that was some of the gayest writing that is ever in the books <laughs> just putting <laughs> that out there anyway at camp we're basically like full-scale prepped for war kyron everyone is like suited up it's time for the titular battle of the labyrinth it's, it's the titular here. role we love Beanie Feldstein. Um, the stakes are high. He takes a few pages to basically just describe like the battlements and the traps and the shields and the flankses and everything. These children are preparing themselves to die. It basically is like all but said, like some people who we don't really know, there are going to be some faceless casualties in this war. I, this is the stakes. Like we're in the stakes. Everything is, has come to this point. This is the taste of war that we're finally getting after talking about it for the entirety of this book. We're getting a glimpse of what the ultimate final battle is going to be and obviously whether or not they can save camp is going to determine how everything else is going to go people are falling left and right Chiron gets injured which is which is crazy and nico ends up like summoning the dead so obviously everybody knows that he's the son of hades now mm-hmm. percy and annabeth fight Compe. oh finally they're back in action together like we needed this we needed to see really this we needed to see their teamwork it's really cute she's like nice fighting with you seaweed brain Dadalus and Mrs. O'Leary show back up with Briaries, who apparently they caught up with in the maze. Together they take down Compe. So mm-hmm. that that's a big win also that Briaries found it in himself yes. to come back. Like let's let's not discount that. He decided that he was he was no longer going to be disillusioned, which is a big deal for us. And then the last big thing that really happens here is that Grover levels up with his superpowers that he apparently just got blessed with by Pan, which is super cool. He unleashes panic. At the disco. At the disco. <laughs> Jackson chimed in with a Haven't You Ever Heard oh. of a cool band from the early 2000s. Anyway. That was a good one, Carter. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of envisioned this panic thing. Like, obviously, I've been watching Umbrella Academy, but as like Ellen Page's superpower with like the, the sound waves that randomly move things. I don't know. I think of Danny Phantom's ghost scream. Danny Phantom! That's one we've been missing. That's a critical text we have not engaged with yet. This basically wins the the battle for them. Like, the entire army retreats because Grover screams. That's... Okay. Good for him. Good for him. Go off. We we have not been kind to Grover in this podcast, but... (laughs) Clearly, clearly he's got a lot going on. He's, He's the new leader of the environmental movement. Chosen by Pan... Basically, wins if there's anyone that we have skipped over, it really is Grover, and we'll we'll keep apologizing for it, but we're not going to fix it. <laughs> um, Shout out to him. Yes, and then Chiron broke all his legs, which sucks because he's a horse. Um, <laughs> can we, uh, Dadalus, like put him down? <laughs> no, not the glue factory. Dog glue, Chiron. Oh my god. <laughs> 
Kyron is kind of dead to me at this point. I'm not gonna lie. He oh. has to redeem himself. Yeah, Kyron. Wait, we skipped over this, but the After beginning he threw Percy on his back. <laughs> at the beginning of this battle, Kyron has like a really intense, like Dumbledore level, like flaw in the plan moment where he's like, Percy, this battle's about to get intense. I want you to basically stick around with me in the back until we decide to deploy you where you're needed most. Oh my god. That irritates me that so much. Irritated I'm me sorry. so much. Why not Annabeth? Like, why did you have to choose the one freaking cute boy to put all your energy into? Or what Whatever. about Clarice? Clarice has been training for this her entire life. You know, literally, Clarice was waiting with the hands. Literally, there are many qualified people. Protect Clarice. Nico, Whatever. perhaps, who can literally create an army from the dead and did create an army oh from the God. dead. Literally, keep him in the back. His main He's skill so is distance fighting. What are you anyway? Yeah. Anyway, um, the aftermath of the battle, we have to figure out what to do with Daedalus, basically. Yes. He's here to make amends, and he comes to this conclusion, basically, that he needs the labyrinth to fall in order to keep it from being used for evil, which, of course, as we learned, means that he is going to have to die, mm -hmm. which is, again, a huge moment. It's basically a, him sacrificing himself in order to win the war for the gods and the half-bloods. So all these people who were ambivalent are taking Percy's side in this war, which after we've talked about how it's mm -hmm. senseless, um, <laughs> we still have to justify going into it in the next book. Mm -hmm. This is uh, page 335, for those of you at home. So, so Nico says, I'll help you release your spirit. But Bianca has passed. She must stay where she is. Daedalus nodded. Well done, son of Hades. You are becoming wise. Then he turned toward me. One last favor, Percy Jackson. I cannot leave Mrs. O'Leary alone. She has no desire to return to the underworld. Will you take care of her? I looked at the massive black hound, who whimpered pitifully, still licking Daedalus's hair. I was thinking that my mom's apartment wouldn't allow dogs, especially dogs bigger than the apartment, but I said, yeah, of course I will. Then I'm ready to see my son and Pedrick's, he said. I must tell them how sorry I am. Annabeth had tears in her eyes. Daedalus turned to Nico, who drew his sword. At first, I was afraid Nico would kill the old inventor, but he simply said, your time is long since come. Be released and rest. A smile of relief spread across Daedalus's face. He froze like a statue, his skin turned transparent, revealing the bronze gears and machinery whirring inside his body. Then the statue turned to gray ash and disintegrated. Mrs. O'Leary howled. I patted her head, trying to comfort her as best I could. The earth rumbled, an earthquake that could probably be felt in every major city across the country as the ancient labyrinth collapsed. Somewhere, I hoped, the remains of the Titan Strike Force had been buried. Yeah, it's a big moment. They're parallels to Pan. Big moment for Nico, also. Yes. Yeah. Also, like the ending of immortality. After this, there's a few few knots that we have to tie up. Grover has a council with the satyrs. Dionysus comes back after being gone for the entirety of the book and is like, "No, Grover's going to be in charge of the environmental movement yeah. from now on." Great. After basically, yeah, the other satyr leaders like don't believe him and try to like exile him, but Dionysus is back. <laughs> And takes Rick you really side. said, down with the old guard, don't trust the old white men. At all costs, fire them. Ryries gets sent to Poseidon's palace to work in the forges. We're back at the at the dining pavilion. Nico refuses to sit at the table with anyone. He has a last conversation with Bianca. He says goodbye. Him and Percy talk, and he decides, I can't stay here. I'm not welcome here. What I am going to do is put together all of the lost pieces about my past and mm -hmm. figure out what the heck was going on because I still literally don't know anything about what happened to me <laughs> before I arrived at Westover Hall. So great. Percy says in response to this, basically, like, Nico would have to find his own dark way. Percy is resigning himself to this idea that Nico does sort of have to go off by, by himself without guidance, without the same assistance that Percy and basically all the other heroes have had in understanding their journeys, which yeah. I think we really need to, we need to sit with that in discomfort, extreme discomfort and unpack that. It didn't make any sense to me. He's 11 years old and they're like no you're off on your own with 
just dead people forever. Ah, yeah, but it's also like, oh, you're telling the gay kid he has to go find himself? That's that, convenient. Yes, problematic. There, there are like levels in which like, yes, that is like sort of a common queer storyline. But like for him to be the one canonically queer character and for everyone to just socially sanction the idea that no one can help him and that everyone therefore has no responsibility to because they just can't understand him and he needs to find his own way. That is That's not really difficult. good. And the ah. fact that Percy's relieved that he goes, like, really bothered me when I was younger. Because yes. Nico was obsessed with him. Like, Nico and Percy's storylines are so intertwined. And the fact that we don't get to see, like, well, we do get to see it. But, like, the fact that Percy is characterized as being relieved that he goes, like, really bugged me and doesn't seem, like, indicative of Percy's, like, character. Yeah, honestly, the whole Percy-Nico relationship was just so confusing to me the first time I read these books. And yet now it makes so much sense. <laughs> I hope we don't have to be enemies. I'm sorry I was a brat. Maybe it's okay to be a kid once in a while. Like Percy brings out the the fine like the mythomagic figurine. Aww. It has five thousand attack points. Whatever. <laughs> Cute moment. He's still a kid. Yes. Just reminding ourselves of that. But then he just you know he kind of walks off. Walks off into the shadows to disappear. Dionysus is like Perry Johansson. Walk with me to the fire. Dionysus mm-hmm. also for the record lost his son in the battle. So yes, that's a lot for him. Yeah, th- this is like a weird moment for Dionysus, who basically is like you know like I've seen a lot of losses. And is there to basically contextualize this loss for us because we have never met Castor basically before this. This is sort of a faceless war casualty of the kind that we mentioned earlier. He's like weird because of his grief, which is is strange for us to see because we are led to believe that he does not care about heroes. He like basically thanks Percy and Annabeth and credits them with saving the camp, which is heretofore unprecedented behavior and reveals that he has healed Chris Rodriguez, the camper who has been, for lack of a better word, insane because of the labyrinth is all good now because madness is one of Dionysus' specialties and he felt obliged or, I don't know, like he wanted to 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 cure Chris. And he says this line, which is again out of character, but really, really important to Percy in this moment, a kind act can be as powerful as a sword. Finally, after this whole book about, ah, like you should yes. just kill him and like war is futile, but also like do what's best for you and like take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. But then we're starting to get all these selfless acts at the end of the book, including the speech from Dionysus, who we think is the most like cynical person ever, that in fact, the way that Percy's going to win this war is by being nice and kind and a good boy. This is very important. It's important for us to see after all of these other people stepping up through violence to see people like Dionysus and Daedalus stepping up through through yielding. Yielding! Ah, and then <laughs> this hurts so much we basically just like zoom through the rest of the summer and all we get for the rest of the summer is quote Annabeth and I pretty much skirted around each other I was glad to be with her but it also kind of hurt and it hurt when I wasn't with her too Ugh, that's God tough damn it you guys kissed like two months ago I don't get it so irritating basically as they're about to leave Hera shows back up Jesus forgot about Christ. her Turns out she's been having her hand in all of this. She's the one who paid for their safe passage, but also she didn't give a crap about Nico. So like, clearly she's homophobic. That's (laughs) great. All she cares about is keeping her perfect, pretty family Mm -hmm. together. She was the one who put Percy on Calypso's Island. Great. So we know who to blame for that. (laughs) Annabeth and Percy are like, literally, can you just leave? We love that for both of them. And I'm going to read this on page 351. Hera's sneer was worse than an impousa's. Her form began to glow. You will regret this insult, Annabeth. You will regret this very much. I averted my eyes as the goddess turned into her true divine form and disappeared in a blaze of light. The hilltop was peaceful again. Over at the pine tree, Peleus the dragon dozed under the golden fleece as if nothing had happened. I'm sorry, Annabeth told me. I I should get back. 
I'll keep in touch. Listen, Annabeth. I thought about Mount St. Helens, Calypso's Island, Luke, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare, and suddenly, how suddenly everything had gotten so complicated. I wanted to tell Annabeth that I didn't really want to be so distant from her. Then Argus honked his horn down at the road, and I lost my chance. You better get going, Annabeth said. Take care, seaweed brain. She jogged down the hill. I watched her until she reached the cabins. She didn't look back once. <laughs> that hurts. That feels bad. They also oh. led up to this conversation by having Percy one last time just dive back in and say, like, you know, what was that last line of the prophecy? And what was the last line of the prophecy? It was, and lose a love to worse than death. It was Luke. It was Luke. Annabeth loves Luke. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe Percy literally in his narration says, I thought about Luke and Rachel Elizabeth Dare. This asshole. Reminder that Luke is a college grad at this point, age, which is really difficult. <laughs> I hate it here. This is, this is a notorious <laughs> low moment for Percybeth fans. Like, this is... Truly. I, I want to say this is as bad as it gets emotionally. Obviously, other bad things happen to them, but this is bad for them on a personal level. It'll get better. It's okay. We just have to hang in there. <laughs> yeah, Um. so so Percy heads back into the city, and we end this book very differently from other books at his birthday party. Cute. Kind of uplifting, sort of. Calm before the storm. Paul is going to propose to Sally, which is very sweet. They're having, like, a man-to-man conversation. Don't love that. Poseidon shows up, um, which is, just, like, epic. I love this whole thing. I love Poseidon. Stan, 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 yep. Poseidon. Sally and him have a reunion. <laughs> Sally is, like, literally quaking, which is really cute. She's like, have me. Um, it's Poseidon. It's really cute. I'm obsessed with it, even though it's very problematic. Um, also, there's yep. a cute moment where Paul is like, wait, Tyson is also your son? And Sally's like, let's not talk about this. Um, and then Percy and Poseidon have a quick conversation. Yeah. Poseidon goes, tell me everything, which almost makes you feel like Poseidon for a second is not literally a terrible, terrible parent. Although, of course, he is. Poseidon, like, listens intently to everything that Percy says, and then it's like, yeah, shit's about to go down. I, you know, like, the ocean's also getting bad, just in case you were wondering. Like, I'm about to have the fight of my life down here. Great to know. Yeah. <laughs> and and Percy, like, basically before he leaves, goes like, you know, just so you know, like, I saw one of your sons basically ordering the executions of large numbers of people in a temple to you, and that didn't feel so good, Dad. And Poseidon goes, no, that's not about me. That's about him. Percy, you are my favorite son. We feel kind of good about that, but also, like, literally Tyson is in the next room. Tyson just went up to Poseidon and was like, Daddy, Daddy. I love you. (laughs) It's so sad. Like, that's sweet, but also it's like, you can't just wave away and be like, oh yeah, no, the death, that's not on me, that's on him. And it's like, you're telling me... You're telling me you couldn't have been like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 I don't want this? Like, like, chill, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Without Poseidon disappears. (laughs) (laughs) We love fatherhood <laughs> doesn't he give he gives him the sand dollar yeah for literally no reason as far as we can tell at this point poseidon's like this will be useful somehow all right <laughs> shows up says happy birthday gives him a gift and disappears but at least he's handsome <laughs> i i would love to skip this but unfortunately percy plants the moon lace um as he promised calypso he would plant a garden for her oh, he looks at the also moon he's lace. planting a seed Plants his seed. I hate that. I hate and it. He Gross. thinks <laughs> about Calypso and Rachel. Uh, kill me. Oh, and it. then 
but one one lovely more emotional <laughs> roller coaster moment for the end of this crazy ass book. Nico shows up on the fire escape. Oh my king, he's shadow traveling. I love traveling. this moment I just... so much. Oh Nico my God. appears on the fire escape. <sighs> gives us a quick update about Daedalus. Is like, by the way, Daedalus is happy in the underworld. You know, it turns out that not all justice systems are irredeemably terrible. We don't always believe in punishment as the proper recourse to someone who does bad things. Um, He's renovating it. So love that for him. But also Nico has an offer for Percy. Dun, dun, dun. (gasps) A way for him to stand a chance. (gasps) What has Nico been doing on his own for the last two months and coming up with a way to win this war? Like, that is so freaking cool. We don't know what's going on, but we will soon. And instead of Nico telling the plan, Nico's like, is that cake? Is that ice cream? Because he hasn't been to a birthday party. Oh my God. And Percy's like, yeah, come inside. Let's eat some cake and ice cream. (laughs) Gay. Oh my God. (laughs) That's the end of the Battle of the Labyrinth scene. That was a lot. Excellent work, everyone. So much happened. Let's debrief. We, I want to hear from everyone thoughts at the end of this book. You've been with us for the literally the entire thing. So, Persibeth thoughts? I'm like really embarrassed by my redheaded comment from last episode. <laughs> I would like to apologize. I've thought about it for the past Thank week. You. I am embarrassed. I thought that what I said was a widely held belief. And when I realized no. it wasn't, I doubled down. I hope no one was offended. And I promise to do better say, in the future. Oh, <laughs> I spiritually oh. healed a lot hearing I that. Um, I don't know if anyone else cares about that, but I did. And Ola, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> I recognize the error in my ways. I was excited about something I thought that was a widely held belief. Now I realize that it is niche. I apologize for making you all privy to that information. Mike, anything? <laughs> Thoughts on Persebeth? Anything like that? Thoughts on Persebeth? Uh, you gotta hang on for the next the next book. <laughs> you truly do. That's all. That's all. Carter, do you have anything? I think I've done enough for now. I think that we've. I think we've literally emotionally exhausted ourselves in the analyzation and debriefing of the Battle of the Labyrinth. Um, Liv, do you have anything? Oh my God! You said you wanted to say bye. You want to say anything about Percival? Oh, I do love Percival. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I literally cannot say thank you enough for you guys sticking with us on this several hours long journey across many weeks late, late at night to talk about this book. I think the fact that we recorded these so late definitely had had something to do with the uh, content. Chaotic (laughs) energy. Um, Might have a special episode next week. We might be starting um, The Last Olympian. So stick around. I'll see you guys later. Bye. 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 Bye.